the process of becoming ordained in the Unitarian Universalist Association is a long one. Uh, for me, it was six years. I was on the fast side. But there's one part of it I don't think that we've, we've ever talked about in a sermon. Uh, early on, about a year and a half into that six-year process, you do what is euphemistically referred to as a career assessment. Mine was in Chicago. It's two days long, and you take a battery of tests ranging from the Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, five-factor assessments, and about six hours with one-on-one -on -one conversations with a psychologist, both before and after you take the exams. This is actually a psych evaluation, but we've called it a career assessment because The, that conversation is, with the psychologist is really important because standardized tests, particularly of personality and psychology, do not uh, always tell, do not always give an accurate picture. I had expressed in person uh, both optimism and practicality, that that was a combination that I valued and one that by personality and training was central to me. And it turns out when you express on standardized tests, particularly the one I was given, both an expectation that things are going to go well and healthy preparation for when they don't, the test flags you as paranoid. <laughs> so it's good to talk about these things. But here's one of the things that was in the report. I test most of the time as a mild extrovert. But I am naturally deeply introverted. In the language of the UUA career assessment, I am an introvert with strong learned extroverted tendencies. <laughs> that was the baby, not me. <laughs> yes. So we'll come back to that. But we're talking all month about resilience about what it means to be resilient as individuals, as a community, as a country. The American Psychological Association describes resilience, this thing that we're talking about, as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress. This is our monthly theme. It was set over a year ago, and yet it's, it remains one of the most timely of our monthly themes because adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, and significant sources of stress are a reasonable synopsis of the front page of the Washington Post this week. And so it's right that we're talking about resilience in this moment. And resilience not just as a psychological concept, not just as what the, um, what the APA defines it as, but resilience as a core part of what it means to be a spiritually mature person. You know, to be spiritually mature is to have an understanding of the world that does not depend on things going a certain way. So we could put this the opposite way. I would say that it is a mark of spiritual immaturity or a lack of spiritual resilience to believe if I am a morally good person, I will be rewarded with wealth. Those who do not have wealth, therefore, are immoral. Right? 
It is an immature spirituality in part because of its brittleness. What happens when a wealthy person loses their money in a housing bubble? Or when we realize, shocker, that someone can be a billionaire and still be reprehensible morally. <laughs> Maybe not a billionaire. There's at least one prominent self-proclaimed billionaire that I and the New York Times have some doubts about. But spiritual resilience is having a belief that transcends immediate context. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. That is why Reinhold Niebuhr says we must be saved by faith. Spiritual resilience looks like Martin Luther King, preaching that everyone is passionately seeking to be well-adjusted. Nobody wants to be maladjusted. There's probably no word in modern psychology he wrote that is used more than the word maladjusted. It is the word most frequently on the lips of the child psychologist. But there are some things in our world to which all of goodwill must be maladjusted if a good society is to be realized. As for me, I must confess that there are some things to which I'm proud to be maladjusted. I never intend to be adjusted to the evils of segregation and the crippling effects of discrimination. I never intend to be adjusted to the moral degeneracy of religious bigotry and the corroding effects of narrow sectarianism. I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities for the many, that will take necessities from the many to give luxuries to a few. I never intend to become adjusted to the insanities of militarism and the self-defeating effects of physical violence. The world is in dire need of a society for the creatively maladjusted, he said. To be spiritually resilient is to be creatively maladjusted, to be outside the expectations of history, to do things that make no immediate sense but are nonetheless true over generations. To say that earthly success has no bearing on moral goodness and vice versa. That is not easy. King's sermon that I just quoted from continues that honestly, honesty impels me, King, to admit that this is always costly and it is never comfortable. It may mean walking through the valley of the shadow of suffering it may mean losing a job. It may mean having to answer your six-year-old daughter when she asks, Daddy, why do you have to go to jail so much? And so, if we are to be creatively maladjusted, we need resilience. It is about resilience to be creatively maladjusted, and the things that it asks of us require us to respond well to trauma, to stress, to the Washington Post. And so where do we go to feed our resilience? Wendell Berry goes down to still water where the great heron feeds. This is the resilience that my introverted self knows best. 
and the one that in moments when it feels like things fall apart, the center cannot hold, I long to find a place of silence, a place of stillness. We call this so many things, going to the garden, finding refuge in prayer, meditation, contemplation, silence. That's in part what this nine o'clock service is designed for. If you, had told, if you told me to close my eyes and describe a place where I can restore myself, where I feel restored, where I bolster my resilience, it would be something like this. It would be a porch in the woods in Michigan. My family's cabin is up on a hill. You can't actually see any of our neighbors, but you can hear the wind in beech, maple, and pine. It's the place where I've gone after trauma and tragedy. It's the place I go for rest and the place I go to be with ones that I love. There are herons up there. But there's also this other part of resilience. My heart is moved by all I cannot save, Adrian Rich says, so much has been destroyed. Therefore, I have cast my lot with those who age after age, perversely, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. Resilience, resilience does not need to be a solo endeavor. Here's a truth that we either say or demonstrate every week that we're here in this place together. Adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, and significant sources of stress, all of those, all of those are easier to face in community. We gain tremendous resilience from being with each other. We demonstrate that every week, every week. We build a cairn, we speak joys and sorrows, The resilience of solidarity is about recognizing interconnection, recognizing that you and I are tied together, that none of us are free until all of us are free. That's true of this community, but it's also true of the broader communities that we exist in. Adversity, trauma, tragedy, these things are not confined to the individuals they affect, but they have impacts that radiate through the whole family of humanity. So when we speak of solidarity, we're speaking of communal resilience. We are interconnected. So when you are resilient, I can be resilient. We are much more resilient as a body than we are as individuals. There's one of Aesop's fables. This is not the first time anybody has given this sermon. One of Aesop's fables goes like this. A certain mother had a family of children who were forever quarreling among themselves. Eilish is a, is a single child, so I don't know. Siblings never fight. I never fought with my sister. But no words this mother could say did the least good, so she cast about in her mind for some example that could show them the discord, that discord would lead them to misfortune. One day, when the quarreling had been much more violent than usual, 
and each of the children was moping in a surly manner. She asked one of them to bring her a bundle of sticks. Then handing the bundle to each of her children in turn, she told them to try and break it. But although each one tried their best, none was able to. The mother then untied the bundle and gave the sticks to her children to break one by one. And that, of course, they did easily. My children, said the mother, do you not see how certain it is that if you agree and help each other, it will be impossible for your enemies to injure you. But if you are divided among yourselves, you will be no stronger than a single stick in that bundle. This story has been told over and over again. We could do the same story with this piece of paper and a phone book. We're not going to because I need it for the 11 o'clock service. <laughs> so the Quaker theologian Parker Palmer recently gave a talk in Minnesota, and I haven't been able to find the text or recording of this talk. So what I have is a line that stuck with one person in his audience that got passed to me, and I, I've been unpacking it since. Solidarity and solitude don't compete with each other. They complete each other. Solitude, the resilience of silence of Wendell Berry, and solidarity, resilience and resistance that we do together. I don't actually know where Wendell Berry went with this. I can guess. I've read a lot of Wendell Berry. But I've been wondering about it since I saw it. So here's where I think he probably ended up, or where I end up. We tend to think in binaries, naturally. Solitude and solidarity, mature and immature spirituality, extroversion and introversion. But binaries are often an oversimplification. I'm reserved. That's different than being introverted or extroverted. I am both of those things at different times. Resilience. When we come together in community, we are resilient in community. But we also come together for our own moments of solitude and silence. How many of us have found solace in any community, maybe this community, not in interacting with each other, but in sitting, the act of being with people and being in our own thoughts. And resilience in solitude. Prayer is a conversation, not a solitary pursuit. I spoke about Michigan earlier. I am not alone in that picture in my head. I'm in conversation with my family, my ancestors. Some I'll sit on that porch with this summer. Some are gone many years now. But there's a resilience to be found in remembering them, remembering, as the poet has it, 
that each of us is the result of the love of thousands. We need to be resilient. The times that we live in require no less of us. Every time that we squeezed each other's hands just a couple minutes ago, that was a reason to build resilience. That was a reason to build resilience individually and in this community. So cultivate resiliency. We each have the capacity to be creatively maladjusted, to come into the presence of still waters, and to cast our lot with those who, age after age, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. Amen.